Follow the Four Corners Podcast on social media. Like us on Facebook, Four Corners Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Podcast Four Corners. And check us out on Instagram, Four Corners Podcast. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review. I want to take this time to apologize to the television audience for what they're about to see. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Four Corners Podcast. This is Shad here with Brad. Have no fear. Matt's all right. He's just, he's really, really busy and um, needed to not sit in tonight, and that's okay. Brad, how are you doing? Um, It is a very nasty day here. Uh, That sounds about right. All right. We'll get our shout-outs handled here real quick. First one goes to Collar and Elbow, the wrestling brand, CollarandElbowBrand.com. Use the promo code Four Corners Podcast. That's number four, capital C and Corners, capital P and Podcast. Save 10% off your order. Worked last time I checked, which I think was only about a month ago. Oh, if, if you're looking to, uh, if you'd be willing to help folks in East Kentucky, your donations, they're still trying to recover from the flooding because, well, them poor dumb hillbillies don't really get help. And I say that as one myself, but uh, if you would like to donate some way of helping them, then I would say that you need to go to Apple Shop, A-P-P-A-L-S-H-O-P dot O-R-G. That'll make sure your donations get to people where people on the ground will actually get helped. Our other shout out, throw the ball to Brad. Um, That would go to Epico Cologne, who I believe is a um, epic CCG player. Well, Brad, that sounds like a segue. Yes. And well, before the segue, I would like to mention, because we, we, we're remiss and we never bring it up, but we do have a Redbubble shop if you want our logo on. Oh, yeah, that's true. I, I always forget to mention that. We are on Redbubble. Make sure it's the number four, capital C in corners. No space between the four and the C so you can find us um, if you want that. I've got I've got stickers on, like, water bottles and coffee cups and stuff. <clears throat> And I think Matt's got a, a notebook or something. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, if you'd be willing to check that out, we'd appreciate that too. Yeah. So CCG stuff. So, you know, since Matt's not here, that gives Brad and I an opportunity to kind of delve into some of the more uh, uh, nerdier sides sometimes. Matt, um, Matt is into the tabletop, but he's just not had like the opportunity throughout life to dig in the way we have not quite the same way <clears throat> and we were starting this off with a little discovery i had today yes just today i was telling brad about it and i stumbled across a program that is called lackey ccg l-a-c-k-e-y c-c-g you can find it at lackeyccg.com or there is a wikipedia page for it now what in the world CCG, collectible card game. This is, if you're thinking CCG, if you, Magic the Gathering is like the the granddaddy of CCGs. Um, you buy packs, you look in the packs, and you go, oh, you know, hey, look, I pulled this, I'm going to put it in my deck, that sort of stuff. 
Um, yeah, and there was probably from like 95 to 2002, I would say, was like the gold rush era of CCGs where every like movie and any IP someone could get their hands on, they would slap like a CCG on. Like there was an Austin Powers one. I think there was a Simpsons one. Uh, there may have been. I, to me, the big glut of stuff was really in the um, like 97 and 99 range where everybody saw it's like, oh, magic's really popular. We better hop on that. And it's, <clears throat> and so, you know, there it went. But here's the thing. The problem with CCGs, especially if it's older ones that you might have been interested in, is where in the hell do you find the things? Like, you can't find the physical copies anymore. People well, didn't do scans of the sets and that sort of thing. No, and it used to be, like, if you wanted, like, in the mid, even up to probably 10 years ago, mm-hmm. um, if you wanted to get into one of those old ones and it didn't, like, become a collectible like, I remember I just wanted to try the Star Trek CCG, and I was buying, like, booster boxes for, like, 20 bucks a piece at the time. <laughs> that worked at the time, not so much anymore. Yeah, because a lot of that, though, now everyone wants to get rich off of everything old, so you can't really do it anymore. Not so much. <clears throat> and then some of the stuff, even even if it was well-known, didn't exactly have a big print run. Um, the Battletech CCG was out there, but it was in the sea of everything else, so not that easy to find. Um, you know, magic was kind of dominating everything, and then a lot of people just didn't pick up other stuff to care. There was Lord of the Rings. Um, there was Lord of the Rings one, which was well, out was, there, um, and that it, it was, was a trading card game. But it, what was it called? Is it just Middle Earth? Battle for Middle Earth, I think. I know I, I like that one because you get the packs easy and it played nice. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I know that like there was the versus system which had uh, comic book characters on it. I heard a lot. That verse is still around, just not. Is it still CCG. around? It's just like set packs now. Oh, okay. So it's a trading card game instead of a collectible card game. Yeah. Where you buy it, you buy a set at a time, and you've got everything. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Vampire: The Eternal Struggle and Rage: The Apocalypse. They're both um, World of Darkness properties. Had them. Uh, Netrunner was out there. Like, I bought a lot of copies of Inquest Gamer magazine. Yep, I, when I was too. in high school, and I would read about things like Netrunner or Legends of the Five Rings or. Um, I mean, to get in our wheelhouse, there was the Raw Deal CCG, the WWE CCG. Um, There was Nitro, I think, was the WCW one. That was a trading card one instead of a CCG one. um, How can I put this? The mechanics were not as robust. Your starter sets were Buff Bagwell and Jeff Jarrett. I wonder why they didn't just fly off the shelves. Uh... (laughs) Yeah, there was Aliens versus Predator card game. There was Call of Cthulhu CCG. There were all, and then Didn't some Deadlands of Deadlands have one. Yes, Deadlands Doomtown. Um, I had a, I had a couple decks of those, but for some reason, my brother and I could not quite grasp the rules well enough. It, it felt like it was ju- we were just not quite old enough to be able to pick up what they were putting down. Yeah. Um, um, 
personal favorite is the Decipher Star Wars, which um, that one, if you were into that one, was easy to get packs. Like you could get those at like Meyer or anywhere really. Is that the one time. where the um the the art was stills from the the original movies? And yeah. It was a light side card. It had a light. Uh, yeah. You know, light format. Okay, I had some of those. But I like that. I know people would probably turn their nose up now, but I like the just having movie stills. And that one released packs like sequentially through the movies. So you did like the first movie, then you had like you did like Hoth and, you know, you just kind of went through the movies. So, of course, that one ended when they finished the movies. Yeah. <clears throat> but we were, you know, sitting around. I was, here's where this came from. I was sitting around thinking to myself, <clears throat> hey, I really wish that I could. um could have had an opportunity to try the Battletech CCG. And uh, from from one of our recent episodes, you guys heard me talk about enjoying Battletech. And on Twitter, there is a um, there is an account called. Uh, oh, it's something HPG. Um, give me a second. I've got it right here. Let me let me look it up because I don't want to. Uh, such a. Oh, another favorite of mine that didn't last long, but it was actually fun was um the MLB CCG. I heard about that one. I did that not one played play pretty well. Actually, that's the only thing I ever played in a store league in. I think it's um the Renegade HPG is the uh, the Twitter. Oh, that guy sounds familiar. For. Yeah, Renegade HPG. I think is it. And so in Renegade, you can go through and, uh, oh, it's, a, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Renegade HPG, but, uh, you know, don't, don't gun to my head about this, um, was a, uh, and there, there is a YouTube video, uh, the, uh, it is how to play the Battletech trading card game from Renegade HPG. There it is sitting right in front of me. Um, and I was looking at, and I discovered that they were talking about this program that was called Lackey CCG. It, basically, it's a framework, and you you go, people make plugins for different games. So it's got all the art to it, and it handles the each plugin handles the art and the mechanics and all that sort of so stuff. So it's like a tabletop RPG kind of. I mean, tabletop simulator kind of. Well, it, it it's um. Nowhere near as complicated and or potentially janky, but <laughs> you can use your lackey CCG to hook up with other people. And, hey, there's a Magic the Gathering CCG for it that has last time I looked uh, where what it has. It claims to have 50,000 cards as in, uh, formats in it. Um that's pretty good for when you're looking for plugins here. I'm going to give you a, la a list of plugins that have been made. I don't know how many of them are active right now, but aliens versus predator anachronism, which was made by the history channel. So you could have like Joan of Arc fight William Wallace, Arkham horror card game, Babylon five, Battlestar Galactica, Battletech, Beyblade trading card game. Don't know much about that. Bleach. Blue Moon, Case Closed, Call of Cthulhu, Dark Eden, Digimon, Duel Masters, uh, 
I don't know what Epic Battles is. Do, they have, the, um, do they have the religious uh, magic knockoff? You mean Redemption? Yes. Yes. Yes, they do. I um, I think I remember playing that. I think that was actually not terrible. It was not. It worked, but it was also super uncomplicated. I played. Oh, my God. I'm getting ready. To, well, if you don't know how much of a nerd I am from listening to this podcast, I played the Redemption CCG at at the demo tent where Redemption set up a tent at the Ichthus movie, movie uh, music festival. Oh, I remember that in Kentucky. Now oh, you remember Ichthus? Yeah. Is that still around? Uh, it was, and then it went away and it kind of came back. It's not the same people, but yes, I played it there. And basically the thing about redemption is basically it's kind of a red Rover where it's like, I'm going to attack with this. Because what you're trying to do is pull lost souls from the other person. The more souls you say, whoever saves the most souls wins. And it's super basic attack block kind of stuff. But it worked. And it was it was something. Uh, other stuff that um, Lackey has, <laughs> it has Rage and it has Vampire and it has Netrunner. Uh, Shadowrun TCG was made, Spycraft, Star Trek Decipher, or Star Wars Decipher, and Star Wars Wizards, um, Lord of the Rings, Legend of Zelda, let's see, Versus, World of Warcraft, Yu-Gi-Oh!, and then here's the one that really surprised me. They had the, someone made the Wheel of Time CCG one, too, and so... I just got it today. I haven't exactly gotten to sink my teeth into it, but it's really cool to discover that like-minded folks out there have put in the work to be able to say, hey, there was this game I really enjoyed playing. I'd like to play it again. I want to make this work. So they took it upon themselves to put in the work and make it happen. Do you want to have your mind blown right now? I am all ears. Redemption is still doing sets. Redemption is still doing sets? Yep. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, Cactus Games. Um, I just looked it up. Let me... Wow. Uh, you know what blows my... Cactus I... Game Design. Let's see, let's look here. So you can get... A starter deck of fourth edition for seventeen fifty. New for summer twenty twenty-three. Redemption starter deck set Israel's Deliverance. Uh, latest expansion set released in twenty twenty-two. The Gospel of Christ. Earn for free booster packs for every ten dollars in your redemption order on our site. You will receive a free random pack. No, that's wow. actually that's actually Not oh, bad. shit, that's a good deal. <laughs> I mean, the game wasn't amazing as I remember, but it was it worked. I'm just saying like I mean, you could spend like you could spend like 50 to 100 bucks pretty easy. You're saying you get you get 10 free packs, you spend 100 bucks like yeah. I wouldn't play the game, but man, I wish some other sites would would do that. That blows my mind. I would I thought that would have just been like a fly by night 
one and done type of thing. I, I knew they had like different sets and stuff. Here was one of the interesting things about Redemption. Nothing in Redemption was more rare than anything else. Every card, at least whenever I was, whenever I bought stuff for it, every card had the same rarity. So you had the same, you know, you had the same, God, this is weird. You had the same odds of pulling Mary, Mother of Christ out of a pack as you did the the seven-headed beast of Revelation. Um, that's weird, but also kind of cool, so... It's um <laughs> that the Wikipedia is saying that's why it's been successful. Oh really? Because because the sets are small, it's easy to collect. Um, they're not trying to do super rare chase cards and stuff, so that's made it popular enough to survive. Wow, I am blown away. And there's only something it said there's only something like over all this time there's only something like 1800 total cards. Well, I mean, I guess that makes it easy to um Oh, from looking at the Wikipedia article, they have added they've added some stuff. Um cuz they have like a card effect that's dominant. It's basically an instant for magic. You can play it at any time. But no, 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 no. No, they did. They did have that. I'm remembering one now. I don't remember fortresses. I don't remember artifacts. I don't remember covenants or curses or cities. But, you know. You know, I almost, it, I almost want both of us to buy, like, a starter set <laughs> and, like, stream playing it against each other. Boy, that would be, um, that would be weird. Here's what's funny. I'm scrolling down looking at the set names. It started in 95. The the first three expansions were in order because the the first expansion was 96. Then it was 96, 97, and 99 were the expansions. The Prophets, the Women, and then the Warriors. And I'm like, huh. Well, look at that. But, yeah, that's – wow, that is a – You know, I kind of – impressive run i kind of looking at just how often they release expansions man i kind of really appreciate that if, if it's been sustainable because they do like they do they do one a year it looks like maybe sometimes they do two a year sometimes they take a couple years off and they come back with a couple sets um they're only on fourth edition which um i appreciate the stability and rule set there yeah. But man, I can't believe that's still around. I I am floored by the fact that it's still around. I apparently they have tournaments and stuff. I Wow, okay. I I forget sometimes though there's that whole um church subculture that I'm not like ingrained in anymore and that like Even... there are things there are things that are uber popular that you know people just aren't aware of well it's like any other niche subculture there are things that are going to resonate with people in that and are not going to resonate with people who are outside of it so you know you can do that with church subcultures and easy go-to there's a subset of music that you know fits in there 
that not a lot of other people listen to. Like, um, just as an example, like there's a radio program and it's still going actually called Adventures in Odyssey that has like a metric crapload of famous voice actors that have done roles on it. And it's wow. like a kid show and it's gone from like, I think the early eighties and it's still doing stuff. Wow. I did not see that coming. Cause it had, um, uh, the main character was Hal Smith. Okay. And then they had to like change his voice after I think the first several years because he died. Oh, but you know, his voice, if you heard him and like, um, yeah, there's all sorts of, like the guy that voiced Scrooge McDuck, I think, had a role on it. Huh. So one thing, we're just – folks, tonight we're just kind of rolling with what's along because we had this plan and, and Matt was like, look, I've got all this happening suddenly. And it's like not a big deal. So we're kind of freeform rolling. Let's go on a little trip. But one well, of the things we, that bugs we made me – We made an interesting discovery to start this off. We totally. sure did. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things that bugs me is you get into we were saying those subcultures, those um, those niche markets, and the um, the word I'm looking for is it's not so much a distillation as it is just kind of maybe it's more a flanderization of that that subculture or genre or whatever and then just driving it down to its base thing and squeezing every last penny out of it you can um you know what's a great um just to go into like the board game space it's a great it's a great subculture that people don't know there but they are devoted and there's a lot of them and there's a lot of games but Hmm. the tabletop sports um subculture in board gaming most of those guys don't play anything else they just play their Stratomatic all the time or all that stuff. And like, really? there's a ton of those guys. They do leagues. They play all the time. And um, I mean, Stratomatic's been around since the 60s. Wow. No, I did not know that was a thing. Yeah. I mean, I have some of I mean, Stratomatic's fun and it's like, you know, but they, they just do their, you know, some guys will do like, They'll take their favorite baseball team every year and do like an actual play with like box scores and usage and, you know, replay the the, the season with their cards. Wow. I just pulled it up and this popping I, Wikipedia pops up and just the. Wow. Just the cards popping up here for it. So, OK, well, nope, nope. I do not need to stick my toe in that pool. That is that is complicated. That. People that do fantasy baseball look at that and go, I don't know, man, that's too much. I I've, I play it. You can, well, you can. They actually do a PC game mm-hmm. that's pretty much just the, it just does the card game for you. And oh, you can okay. just do the tactics. But it, it's not it's not as hard as it sounds because you know a lot of kids play it. But there's like a basic, advanced and super advanced. But it's not it's not super hard. Okay. And especially if you're into baseball, it's actually kind of intuitive if you know the sport you're playing. All right. I'm with you. Um, oh, which direction do we want to go here? Do we want to go board game? Do we want to go subculture thing? Um, I'm trying. Let's, I don't want to. Dr- let's stick to the subculture thing because I think okay. that's interesting. So uh, the reason you brought that up is you reminded me of something. Um, there was. The word got out somehow, and I'm pretty sure that this was 
like seven, eight years ago, maybe further back. I don't remember exactly when. I don't even remember when I first heard about it. I knew it had been like this had been out there before then. But just going since we were kind of already on this, the um, going on the uh, the the Christian subculture thing, there is in the Christian music industry, they have their target demographic. They know exactly who they're targeting towards. And they they call her. They don't call her Karen. They call her like Wendy or Annie or something like that. And the idea is that she is driving a minivan full of kids somewhere and needs something to put on the radio that she will like that is not at risk for those kids. And so that is why so, – because I used to listen to that the, the Christian radio stuff a lot more um, until I came to the conclusion – I I can't stand this anymore. It it became super bland, super samey. There was no depth to any of it. It was it was driving me crazy because it was like chorus, two lines of a verse, chorus, two lines of a verse, repeat the chorus four times in the song. And I just I had to quit on it and it but that's what they have explicitly designed it for. What was um, what what is their version of platinum that Cartman freaked out about? Because frankincense, he lost wasn't it? I thought I was thinking myrrh, maybe. It was one of those. Yeah, but that's um, that's a funny episode. <laughs> the faithless one episode. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that. So funny story, true story. I can't remember if it's in Stick of Truth. It's got to be in Stick of Truth because I don't think you go in Cartman's room and fractured South Park fractured but whole. Um, he that that record is on the shelf in his closet, like that that either uh, Frankincense or Myrrh record is up on the shelf. So they they put a lot of great Easter eggs in both of those games. I mean that was just like his that was just his sellout commercial attempt because Finger Bang was his like passion project. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, they they remember they uh, they disbanded Finger Bang because they couldn't handle the fame. Yeah. Yeah. But um, it, you can take any like subculture and it seems like everybody instead of everybody, uh, it gets corporatized and then everyone gets focused on the short term profit instead of building long term sustain, sustainable stuff. And I gotta tell you, I'm getting real sick of it. I can't be the only one, right? Well, I think I think Hollywood's learning some um, important lessons this summer with their just incredible series of bombs that they're releasing right now. Okay. Minus Let, Spider-Verse. Let's go with examples. Let, let's hit some examples. Okay. Well, Little Mermaid bombed. We can go into the multitude of creative problems they made there. I think. Um, what came out this last weekend? Uh, I don't. Oh, the Flash. No, Flash is this weekend, I think. Oh, it's this coming weekend. I know it's projected to Lose be a out. massive failure. Gee, I wonder why. Oh, what was this weekend? Because it was. Oh, Transformers. I don't think Transformers oh. did so hot. 
And then Indiana Jones is projected to not do well because I think I think it needs to make something like eight or seven hundred million. I think eight hundred million plus to even break even, and it's projected to open it like seventy million domestically. I used to love Indiana Jones, and then I got wind of what happened with Crystal Skull, and I I never watched Kingdom of the Crystal well, Skull. The, the problem is though is like you know what you're getting from Lucasfilm now. So one, you don't want to see like ninety year old Harrison Ford like do bad action scenes. But it's also like modern Hollywood with nostalgia bait. So, you know, in the second they announce like the sidekick's going to be a woman, you know, he's going to get henpecked the whole movie. And he's just like, no, I don't need to. And then like you see the trailer and then you have like old ass um, Gimli there. Oh, John Reese Davis. Yeah. And he's old as fuck. And I'm just like, I don't want to see this. (laughs) <laughs> like I have my happy memories. I don't need to see them all old and decrepit. It's like when they redid the Matrix and the action scenes sucked because the actors were old. They did. I mean, they did a new Matrix like five or six years ago. Oh wow, I forgot all about that. And it did not do well because but, no one okay. gave a shit about the Matrix after the first one. Here's here's the thing that confuses me. Here's the thing I don't understand about doing these remakes is what are you going to gain out of this? Because if it sucks, nobody's going to go see it. They're just going to go watch the original. If I want to – okay, my kids get a little older, and they want to um, – they're like, hey, we want to watch Aladdin. I'm going to go get the animated one with Robin Williams because it – already existed and i knew how good it was i think they i think i think there's a couple issues that go on here so i think they're it's attractive because it's lower risk and you can kind of glom onto an existing ip but then you run into like you run into the problems like you end up with the writers like in the witcher that hate what they're writing which you should never do that that should be like But then you have the people, and it's always the code word you know to avoid it when they say they needed to update it for modern audiences, and it's just like, no. That, I have, I cannot think of an instance, I'll put it that way, I cannot think of an instance where that went well, um, where that turned out well. Well, there's, I, I feel like we're overly sensitive now with some of this stuff, when they, like, went, like, especially, like, with... With, like, kids stuff, and they want to, like, take everything down and everything because some things might be socially inappropriate. And I was talking with, I think, my wife about that, and I'm like, it's kind of dumb because, you know, so I was a kid in the 80s, and so was Shad. And there was stuff, like, in old, like, cartoons that wasn't, like, a social norm for us, like smoking and, and things like that. Yeah. You're just like, you'd say, like, hey, mom, why why is why are they smoking like that? And they would say, oh, because we didn't know it was bad for you. And people did that back then. And now we know better. Okay. I'm getting ready to hop a tangent. So run with me for a second. Right before the Reddit blackout kicked in, which will be a whole, whole nother topic we can grab onto in a bit. But there was someone made a thread that was, hey, what is it that Europeans really need to hear from everybody else? And one of them was. Someone say, you know, this is from somebody from Winston-Salem, North Carolina, colon, y'all smoke too damn much. 
because in America, in the space of one or two generations, the prevalence of regular smokers just dropped precipitously. Like it, it fell off hard. Apparently, from what I understand, that is not the case overseas. Yeah. And there are lots of people still lighting it up. And I read that thread because my favorite part of that for the Europeans is like, you all are much more racist than Americans. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that that one. They're they're set up for that is what really threw me because I'm like, OK, I want to see how are you going to do this? Because you can make that claim, but surely to God, you've got something to go with, right? There and are then, receipts and lots of receipts. Yeah. Well, the the go-to example seemed to be, oh, we're not racist here like you are there. Oh, what about the, the Romani? And, ooh, wow, then the floodgates open. Um, but... You know, just it is fascinating to me that as a culture, we were like, oh, oh, God, this smoke not only is smoking bad, but the smoking companies have known about it for 20, 30 years. They knew how bad this was for us. I ain't well, doing we, this anymore. This it's one of the. It's one of the few times the government actually successfully viced something like vice tax something out of existence, too. Well, you, you could. There was just kind of a full court press in North American culture against it. Like, it, there's some people out there that still do that, but they know full well what they're getting into. They know what's, uh, they know what's happening. It's not like any of it is a surprise anymore. I actually think, um, I actually think so many states banning it in um, public, indoor, like indoor smoking for the most part. I think that's really what kind of nuked it in the younger generation because it um it eliminated a lot of that social bar smoking that turns into a habit in college oh yeah okay i had a professor in college once he illustrated it like this and i respected the guy he was a smart dude and he wasn't he he taught his subject matter and that was what he did he said well here was the thing is it used to be, let's say you've got this guy who works at, in an office at a law firm or something like that for this example. And he'd sit there and he'd smoke all day at his, at his desk. And then you said, well, you can't smoke in your office anymore. You have to go to the balcony at the end of the hall. He would, Some of them would just quit right then and there because, well, if they weren't going to do it at their desk, they weren't going to get up and leave to go do it. But some people would. He said, and the more inconvenient you made it, the more people would stop doing it. And it kind of to the point now where it is so drastically inconvenient that the people who are still doing it are well and truly hooked on it. And look, it, it, it's tough because you, quitting smoking is is equated with you know quitting opiates. It's I, really hard. I realized that because I've been listening to a, a Rooster Teeth podcast, block uh, Black Box Down about plane mm-hmm. crashes and they are talking about smoking on planes and i felt really old because I, I wouldn't have been able to do it for long but i'm old enough that i could have legally smoked on a plane um you're not that far past me i think you might have been able to do it like like right at the tail end right at the tail end because i mean i remember 
I remember back in the day they used to have like the little smoking symbols on that, like the little top, you know, little consoles with the lights and everything. Oh yeah, and, and they, they, well, I mean, they had the ashtrays in the arms of the seats, and it used to be like returning the no smoking signs on and all that stuff. Yeah, and I remember back like hockey games in like the early two thousands, like. You'd be hitting the concessions and there'd be the smoking room and it would just be like a cloud of smoke. <laughs> it's like what, like Snoop Dogg's green room or something like yeah. that? Yeah. So it's the cultural change on that is really fascinating as and it I mean, to change something that was such a widespread accepted habit for so long and take that hard turn on it. So quickly, I mean, yeah, I say a generation, uh, it's not, but honestly, when you, you're you're pushing uphill against something that started in the 1600s and went strong for 350 years, um, yeah, that's that. I mean, that's a pretty, I think, pretty quick swing. I think that's had like a cascading effect. So, like, if you take, if you take me for example, my grandfather smoked until he got lung cancer. Uh-huh. And my dad smoked, but they had both quit in the 70s before I was born. So mm-hmm. when I grew up, I just had an aunt and an uncle that smoked, and that was yeah. it. Um, and I think so that made me less likely to smoke. And my grandfather dying of lung cancer from it when I was 11, you know, added yeah. to that fire. But, um, you know, so but so then I didn't smoke. So if, if I were to have had kids, then they were probably less likely to smoke. And then you kind of kind of taper it off yeah you kind of kill it that way too there's all there's also um there's kind of a correlation with things going from being an everyday habit to like an occasional indulgence um because i was i never never had a cigarette in my life but i will occasionally have a cigar but that's a very occasional thing like most often it's one in a month Right. <clears throat> but that's an occasional indulgence. And if I remember correctly, if I'm wrong about this, pardon me, I've been hitting the head a few times, but drinking is not as heavy as it used to be either. No, it's that's seen as um, more of an occasional indulgence. Millennials did let did less, but I think Zoomers are like stupidly like don't like stupidly like small percentage of Zoomers drink. Is that drink at all or drink regularly? I don't remember. I think it's the they don't binge drink like. Okay. I think the Zoomers are a little too young to see that play out like in their adult years. So your 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 late millennial early Zoomer period, you're seeing far less alcohol. Well, because one, because that was that was a pastime, right? The, pro- the problem the problem I have is. Millennial is a stupid term because, like, um, those of us, like, even to Shad's age, like, we're more like Gen Xers than we're like Millennials. I I ride that pocket. I'm in that pocket generation that they call Xennials. So I, I was I was living in that transition period because you came of age around the year 2000. That's that's why they were called Millennials. Well, okay, I graduated high school right around there, so. 
I say I'm right in that pocket generation, and so I'm not really couched in either one. I'm couched I'm, in that, I'm that stupidly, transition. I'm stupidly. I was born in January of '81, so um, in some instances I'm considered a millennial, and in other instances I'm considered a Gen Xer, to, based on like the person doing the stuff right now. Yeah. Um. But like, literally, I'm either the last Gen Xer or I'm like the very first millennial. And the thing is, like, for me, like, I was born in '81. Like, mm-hmm. I don't have I don't have much in common with someone that was born in like 1994. Right. Well, like it, like I honestly like the way society moves. I, I have more in common with someone born in like 1971 than I do someone born in like the nineties. That's why I, I like using that pocket Zennial term. I mean, that, that, that splits the line, right? Because there's stuff we get from both ends and, those changes, like we lived through a whole bunch of cultural changes. Um, we were the ones that we were the ones that had to figure out how the computer works so we could fix it so our parents could use it. I mean, I there were I when I was a kid, there was a typewriter in our house. Mm-hmm. We had uh, I don't know in middle school we had a um, a little bit earlier we had a. Commodore 64 computer that my parents had gotten secondhand off this college student because he thought he could use it to help do his homework, but it really wasn't helping him. And so we had that. And um, I think we got one in like 91, maybe. Yeah. And but, you know, that's you've got a Commodore 64 that's good for a word processor and that big stack of. uh that big honking stack uh, of morally of pirated question- games. Yeah. yeah. The morally questionable. Your da- so this is this is something that's very much of the time, but your your dad's more well, either your morally questionable uncle or one of your dad's morally questionable friends showing up with a box of floppy disks full of um how shall we say um They've got handwritten labels on them. Dubiously obtained video games. Yeah. They, they, it's just got handwritten labels on it. And so you have to take that, you put it in the drive, you flip the thing down, you write start quotation mark, whatever this is, close quotation mark, comma, eight, comma, one, hit return. And then you wait five minutes for it to load up. And and honestly, like back in the day, like this is going like well old school. But if you went into a computer shop that wasn't like Micro Center, there is a solid chance that you saw like some floppies in a sandwich bag that some local guy had programmed like some games on. Yeah. And so it, it was the things weren't that widespread. The things were not that. Uh, the chances you had a compatible platform with any of your friends that had a game was like minuscule. Yeah, that it, multiplayer was not a thing. Yeah. If it wasn't a console then multiplayer was not a thing. But like I said, we've gone through this era of here we are. We've got. um, We remember what life was like before the Internet. Yeah. And we remember what uh, couch co-op and couch multiplayer was like. No screen looking. Um, Kind of pre. Well, like pre VCR, like pre cable, like we we kind of we kind of saw the entirety of the the technological change yeah and so do i have to say that now 
and I bitch about it and I feel like an old man, but I swear websites are worse today than they were in like the 2000s. Of course they were because it's not about having information on them anymore. It's about getting people to come to your website to look at it. And clicking as much as possible to up yeah. traffic. It, it is not about having information easily accessible. And I don't it's, – it's funny because um, you look around – like the original internet was this Wild West of – Weirdos. Weirdos, but then there was also like handy stuff to find. The, the, the Phone Losers of America website was up teaching you about hacking phone lines and stuff. Because, hell, who's going to look at it, right? And then you gradually, it became, it went from this place of very niche to getting more and more widespread to very suddenly getting corporatized to the point of like, we are making money off this. And I think that we're sitting in this area where we look at, the old side of the split and the new side of the split with this technology. And we go, man, ain't either one of you got this right. Like the old generation, the folks who were the folks who didn't retire because 2008 happened because they caused 2008 to happen. Um, and, you know, stymied job progression for people like us. And then the folks who have grown up where all the, all the, you know, all they needed to know about manipulating an Internet or computer has been on a touch screen. Yeah, I, I want to discuss that. I want to come back to that in a minute. OK, but we look around and we go, wow. Um, first of all, no, nothing about what either of you all are talking about is sustainable. But. It feels like to me. That those that are coming after us because we're still trying to balance this this horrendous work ethic mentality that was foisted on us against hey maybe we should kind of start taking care of ourselves where the younger generation's like yeah no you're not going to talk to me like that you're not gonna you know i'm not going to to mortgage my entire life for 20 years so that maybe down the line i can have a little breathing room it, they are demanding being treated well. And they just because you say, oh, well, I had to do it, so you have to do it. And it's like, no, you don't. That's the point of progress. Things are supposed to get better. And so just because it's like, well, I had to work 80 hour weeks to do this. It's like that. First of all, it's not a good thing. Second, isn't it good if people don't have to work 80 hours to accomplish what you accomplished? So. I do like seeing that, that the generation that follows is kind of being like, you know what? Y'all are going to die and um, stuff's still going to get done. At the same time, it's like, but you guys don't actually know how to fix a computer. That's what I was going to say about young people that I've, I've really drives me up the wall. You get, you get exceptions, but so for all like the the vaunting that young people are good with technology, that's very true. If you want them to inter like work with an interface, 
Um, they will probably get it better than me, but if you need them to actually troubleshoot or like figure out like why it's not working or something, um, that is almost impossible to deal with with young people. Well, they the here's the way I look at it is they didn't have to learn it. We learned it out of necessity. You know, Brad, you and I came up having to fight with MS DOS for God's sake. Yeah. Well, and, they, and they've been on Apple machines that like treat you like you're stupid and hide like the the back end from you at all costs possible. Yeah. So we had to learn how to do this stuff because it wasn't that uh, we had knew how to know how to fix it. It's like, no, you know, had, had to know all this stuff in order to know how to do it, period. So I'm not down on young people not knowing this stuff. It is an artifact of when they came of age yeah i think it is unfortunate though i think the the younger ones now seem a little more tech savvy like we were like my oldest niece if she needs tech help with something it's just like just bring it over next time you're here because i can't talk her through like going through subfolders and stuff yeah but the younger niece that's 10 years younger than her now her I can be like, okay, we're going to go in this folder. Okay, open that. You're going to change this. We're going to do that. And I can do all of that over the phone with her, and she's totally fine to do that. But the other niece, like I can't even say, look this up on Google, or I need you to tell me if it does this. I can't even do that with her. And there's, like you and I had to deal with growing up the statement of it's like, well, you have to know how to do this because you're not going to have a calculator in your pocket. And now I take my phone out and I go, huh, look at that. Um, yeah, that my friend was in accounting and he always complained that a professor would like make them do things like ass backwards because, you know, humanity might be overthrown and apes might be our masters. So, you know, calculators would suddenly disappear in that equation. Yeah. And accounting is going to be of a huge concern at that point. Yeah. I d- and it's just like. It's it's something uh, a, weird. I'm on a kick right now. A different professor said in a class I was in, he said, my son came home from school and his assignment was – he was a history professor. He says his assignment was to memorize the succession of the monarchs of England from this point to this point. And he said, well, that's dumb. And we're just kind of sitting there listening. He goes, that's dumb because I'm never – operatively going to need to know that why would i need to commit it to memory if i needed to know that i would go take the book off the shelf and look it up because guess what if you need to know that for some reason you're going to look it up anyway and it kind of strikes me that we may be in this time period where the knowing of the thing is less important having the thing memorized is less important than the knowing how to find it like can you properly find the correct way and <clears throat> from a credible credible source can you properly find this and then use the information you found yeah that's the thing because I, I help people with a lot of technology stuff at work and at home and they're like oh my gosh you're so smart and it's like do you think i remember this stuff like i google half of this yeah. Yeah, that's 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 if you if you put questions in the Google box, it gives you answers. 
Yeah, it's like, you think I know what error code E567B4 means? Like, no. <laughs> Nobody memorizes an area like, code. Like, you think I remember how to get into, like, the the backing commands to run the system scan I'm doing right now? Like, no, I go look up the command prompt in Google. Yeah. Which, interestingly enough, brings us back to something I said earlier. Part of what's happened with the Reddit blackout is that people looking for information through Google aren't finding it because so much of what happened is the the subreddits where people would go, you know, programming or something like that, where they're like, okay, I'm trying to figure out how to do this thing. I can't remember how to do. Oh my and God, you just it? have other users say, oh, yeah, yeah, no, no, here's how you do it. And they just respond and be like, no, 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 I know how to do this. Here you go. They well, can't shit, find what are the, it now. What are, the, what are the poor journalists that just – um lift all their content off of reddit doing right now um i imagine they're sitting under their desk you know eating cookies and crying are but they, then again are they Buzz on 4chan gone, so oh you know what i kind of <laughs> hope so because i want to see the nightmare that ensues from that. like yeah i d- um how long is the the google i mean the the reddit blackout ends tomorrow doesn't it that was the initial idea, but there are a bunch of subreddits that are going for indefinite as opposed to two days. You know, other than Twitch, Reddit might be um, it might be the most impressive for how much Reddit like shoots itself in the foot. It's really shocking, and okay, this whole thing, and the, the whole Reddit blackout came out of the CEO apparently being greedy. Oh, shock. Yeah. So Spez, the user Spez, he's the CEO. um, They decided it's like, no, we're going to roll out a new um, we're going to roll out a new API model. I, I can't remember what API stands for, but for example, on your phone, if you're using Bacon Reader or Apollo or Reddit is fun, they let they use the Reddit API and they built an app. And it needs to incidentally be, worked. It needs to be said. Um, Spez is a straight up box of cocks. Like Dickbag mm-hmm. does not like um, no. cover him. He is a dishonest piece of crap. And whenever he says anything, you should not believe him. No, he did an AMA to answer questions about it and then didn't answer any questions. He's been he's been a, he's been a he's been a piece of shit for yeah, and as then long he, as I've been around Reddit, so the um he decided one of his big things was leveling accusations against the developer of an uh, an app called Apollo, saying, "Oh, you tried to blackmail us and threaten us and stuff like that, and that was illegal." And the guy goes, "Well, I live in a one-party consent state, and I recorded all this." And he released the recordings in which Spez was like. Well, yeah, you're right about that. I guess we should look at it again. He's like, well, is this blackmail? He's like, no, it's not blackmail, but, you know, I guess you have a point. And Spez just straight up lied about it. So the guy's like, no, here you go. We'll call you out for it. Spez it's, lying? I'm yeah. shocked He's, and amazed. He is. Uh, they're trying to set up for an IPO is what they're trying to do. And you and know Spez what's going to happen? That is if, – if Reddit does an IPO, it will be – It'll be a colossal failure. 
Yes, it will. They they are. If they really think they're going to do an IPO, they are dumb motherfuckers. This is you're trying to to manage the same group of people that took the uh, the short sale uh, billionaires Wall Street people to task by buying up GameStop stock and then just sitting on it. Like, all right, how well do you think this is going to turn out? And, and then Reddit's never made money. That's been a big like that's where all their turmoil comes from is they never made money. They've been self-sustaining, but it's not a big profitable thing, right? No, they've never figured out how to monetize it properly. Okay. Because they're not. Well, I mean, I, I think they might still lose money. I think they just get subsidized through something, but they've never. It's like Twitter. Twitter's never been a big money maker. No. It. What, so one of the things they're trying to force out uh, third-party apps that that browse Reddit because they want to make everybody use the standard Reddit mobile app it's like no it did like moderators on forums won't use it because it doesn't have the tools for them to actually use it well, like it, they they literally can't it used to be okay but every time they like they change things on they they continually make it worse they bought a third party app whose name i can't remember because they're like oh this works really well we'd like to buy it out from you and then tanked it here's here's how you, you this is Great because and you can't I, even I post half the, like anytime I've ever double or triple post is because I'm on their stupid app trying to make a post. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I went back to just using um, if I'm on mobile and I want to comment or whatever, I just use the website anymore because it's easier. Yeah. And even then, they've been trying to they've been trying to um, nerf the website on mobile to make you use their stupid app. Yeah. So one of the things that's great is um, somewhat – first of all, the um, – yeah, the the guy said you know the blackout hasn't had a significant revenue impact, and he, he anticipates they'll come back online on Wednesday. He said this isn't going to be long-term. It'll be over. We'll be back to whatever we were wanting to do. The thing you got to remember about – the first thing about Spez – is the fact that he has active contempt for users of his his product, and <clears throat> he got started on Reddit moderating one sub back in 2008. This is from Twitter. Uh, I can't remember. Well, it's it's for the ones that are on Reddit right now. The sub that he moderated. The one that he moderated that started him up to where he is a CEO now was Jailbait. Oh, really? So he's yeah. a pedo. Well, I don't know what he is, but he's, he's if you were if you're moderating Jailbait, you're a pedo. Like I don't. But I I am saying that like I saw the the percentage somewhere. It's like traffic is down thirty percent, but content is down like sixty percent because people aren't posting stuff well that's because that's that's because the typical reddit experience is you will find a subreddit you like and the moderators will slowly ruin it with arbitrary rules even sometimes contradictory rules until the only thing that you can post without it getting nuked is low effort memes as they yeah. talk about how they want to get rid of low effort content like you'll make some someone will make some really thoughtful posts and it'll 
it'll um get some good conversation going but like um some moderators jimmy will get rustled and they will um they will nuke it because their hot pocket got too cold well the other thing work. that'll happen is that someone will just go start a new subreddit on a similar topic with their own subreddit with blackjack and hookers but won't be like that so you can get back into that that stuff that you're looking for again and <clears throat> the uh like i'll tell you i'll tell you a great one that reddit does that got me to unsub from a lot of subreddits like whenever net neutrality comes up, like every mm-hmm. sub will, will put all this stuff up there about net neutrality and just ruin the front page with it. And they're all they're all literally parroting like Facebook and Netflix propaganda about net neutrality every single time. And it's like, OK, guys. Well, what the thing that I look at when I see all of this is. The the best example I have of what I was talking about with the break-off thing is – I know we've talked about it on the show before, and it is just – I don't want to say favorite, but it's a sterling example of hubris – was the stark rise of the anti-work subreddit that promptly didn't shoot itself in the foot, blew the foot off at the ankle with that one interview, like the one interview – on Fox where they had the person, they gave them the person they requested to interview who shouldn't have never been on there. A bunch of people were like, uh, no, that's not what we're here for. And then went and started the subreddit work reform. So this is what we're talking about. There is no reason for us to be killing ourselves 75, 80 hours a week when there's no you know there's actually not enough work for it and so they want they're asking for things like work reform do we need 40 hour weeks can this be done in a 4 hour work week if you have this a 4 hour work week or a 4 day work week not 4 hour pardon me if you have a 4 day week work week where people are paying the same thing you know you're getting paid the same but the same work's getting done isn't that a benefit? And that to me, that's that was a great example of a strength of using that site and having so many niche subreddits around really helped with the idea of going, hey, I'm looking for something very in particular from people who know about it. And it's like, OK, yeah, hey, guess what? We can find that. Or if you can't find it, you can start it and try and and bring people in on that same kind of thing. But the other thing that's happened is apparently from what I'm seeing, another Twitter trend thing, because it's nice to have one place that's a clearinghouse for information. Like Squared Circle was great because someone would have a, a subscription to all the news sites and then they would just be like, here's what they were talking about. Uh, <laughs> and you could find it all in one place. That was the big thing. But Squared Circle just kind of was a slow descent into hell, though. I got fed up with them. Yes. The reason that I went there was because it was easy to find that stuff. It was easy to to find references to that sort of but thing. But it's, it's like every other like you, you still find that stuff, but it's like every other subreddit that's big now. It's just low effort shit. Yeah. Like 90 percent of the time. Yeah. 
you can find like you can find decent content you can find not only like match results but you can find clips from the show for big moments and that sort of thing but you don't really want to get into discussions on there because everybody tries to well actually you the one time that i waded into the the pigsty on it someone was like well, you never been in the ring. You don't know. It's like, I was in the indie ring for 10 years. I never heard of it. Yeah, I'm aware of that. When I call myself a former indie nobody, that's because I was self-aware enough to know, hey, I was good enough at this, but I didn't put my shoulder in enough to get big at it. I know that. I've had people lecture me yeah. about how I'm an idiot and don't know what I'm talking about. And they're literally talking down to me about my profession that I've done for a decade now. Yeah. And it's like, they're like, well, blah, blah, blah. And it's usually like I'm giving someone advice about how to handle something that's within the industry I work in. And this person will just be giving them terrible advice. And I'm just like, okay, whatever guys. Yeah. That, that is something that happens. The, the, the legal advice subreddit was run by people in law enforcement, not people in the legal profession. Um, and so they would they would block out. There was a lot of good advice that got cut out, but you could go and find better locations for that sort of stuff. You could find those smaller ones that are more focused on whatever the topic is. And it made it really handy. But now people who are looking for stuff that can't search Reddit for it. Google can't find it because if everybody is focused on. Here, I'll pull a name out of the air. If everything is like the chive, where it's like we make low effort clickbait or BuzzFeed or something, then nobody's putting out good information anymore, except for those small subreddits. And now people can't find how to do specialized things or specialized information or something like that because Spez is super greedy. And it's fascinating to me. I don't know why they've they've hitched their wagon to him. I don't know why he's a CEO. Yeah, I would, because he just stays through everything, and he really just like Reddit should be so much more than it actually is. It, it could go a lot better, but. Because they they really because one of the big problems Reddit has, especially under him, is they don't follow their own rules. Like, um, oh yeah, especially letting like companies moderate their own subreddit, which is expressly expressly against the rules. There was so it it, it's yeah we're not gonna go down that train. Um. And the clear astroturfing, that's the other thing that drives me nuts. Oh, why there I use it, it is. Less, is the, is like, because people are like, because you'll see it sometimes, like, why is this like, because, like, these are paid shills, dude. Yeah. There's lots of shills. There's lot. If you go to, like, any big AMA, there was a sub that was called AMA Disasters, and it was amazing for reposting Ask Me Anything threads that were just just nightmares except some of them were like really fun nightmares like for some reason they put jose canseco's on there and canseco was like i don't give a damn i'll answer everything how i want to which was 
actually really fun to read because it was it was kind of this unfiltered response. But then like PETA goes and does an AMA and gets savage. Oh, did people ask them about why they kill so many animals every year? God, all over it. And the only questions they responded to were from the obvious sock puppet accounts. And they got destroyed or EA Games getting the lowest downvoted post in the history of the site with the whole hey yeah we uh we paywalled and loot boxed everything in star wars battlefront because we want everyone to have the yeah you say you want to play as luke skywalker but wouldn't you rather have the accomplishment of playing this game solid every day for eight hours for two years before you could actually unlock him i mean he got that that post got cratered it got to the point where they quit displaying the number of downvotes because it was too big. I the, the I think the AMA thing's dumb in a lot of cases because there's there's people that set up AMAs where if I was their agent I'd be like no this isn't your audience like don't do it. See they had someone before Elaine Powell became the CEO. They had someone on staff. Her name was Victoria. I can't remember her username who would set up and vet these things and then work with the person doing the AMA to make sure that they were, you know, they understood the question and answered it properly. Because like, like they did Woody Allen and that one was rampart, a bit of a fiasco. Like why? Like, like, okay. One Reddit isn't too young to really like appreciate him. Like two Woody Allen doesn't even know what an AMA or Reddit is. Yeah. He thought he was just there to talk about the new movie and people are asking him all kinds of other questions. And it became the, – the meme became I was just here to talk about Rampart as opposed to, like I said, Kinsokyo being like, hell yeah, brother. You know, you know, it's – it's uh, you know, they say – what is it? Is it um, Heineken or is it uh, Corona? And he'd be like, Corona all day. No question. You know, like – like, yeah, because because that's the thing, like Canseco is a bit of an off the wall one, but he obviously has enough of a sense of humor to roll. With yeah. It. So you but the people who came in to do like the corporate shell thing would get destroyed because the person who was set the big AMAs up got fired by a CEO who I'm convinced was put in the position to do a bunch of unpopular things. And then get, quote unquote, fired out of the position after all that was done so the, the site could look better. But what here was we the are. biggest disaster AMA? Because there's one that's like on the tip of my tongue that I can't remember. Um, let me think for a minute. The Olympics was bad, but that's not the one I'm thinking. Was it FIFA? Yeah, it was FIFA. Yeah, FIFA went in there to talk about it and they got. So many questions, so many questions well, I mean, about I mean, slave labor yep. and uh, corruption and oh, the um, International Olympic Committee, too. Because, oh, the, my God, the Olympics aren't as bad as FIFA, but FIFA is literally pro slave labor for their. Yeah, their stadiums and stuff. Yeah. So you had that like. um I'm trying to remember – like I think there was one where there was someone who worked – like this guy who worked for Amazon um, who who didn't post anything for like most of a year. And then all of a sudden comes back and he's talking about how great Amazon is. Like, gee, 
we're going to check your post history. I wonder what happened. Um, or like, Bill... um, it's real bad during elections because remember, remember like that violent shift from like the because like the site was very anti-Hillary and very pro-Bernie mm-hmm. um, in 2016, and it was like there was like a light switch one day, and it was like completely like the opposite. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was that was your astroturfing going on. Yeah, and it, like, um, and there's like it's for dumb stuff. Like when you see like, um, like when the Stadia was coming out. Yeah. Like funny how like it was two weeks later you never heard boo about a Stadia again. Yeah. So uh, another one I'm sitting and we're talking about it. I remember every time Bill Nye has done one, it's been a train wreck. That's because he's an asshole and no one likes yes. him. Yes. Well, not anymore. People used to. And then Ryback did one. I forgot about that. Ryback did one, but he didn't know how it worked, so he wasn't responding to the questions. He was just putting new posts up, and nobody knew what he was talking about. You know, you know, I don't like CM Punk, but that's one of the funniest stories CM Punk ever told. Oh. Was the uh, one where where Ryback like heard him, and it was like. Just tell me you're dumb as fuck. And he's like, I'm dumb as fuck. I'm sorry. I, With all the context around that, it was like, I don't think he's got a – he didn't really have anywhere to go with it because it's like he tried to – if I remember right. I think Ryback I heard him like repeatedly over the course of like some matches. Did he? Okay. Because that's why – said. I think he like kicked him and like hurt him and he had hurt him earlier and I think – I think Punk just was pissed. I mean, I would be pissed at him, too. Like, it was a funny story, but, like, Punk was justified. Yeah. And <laughs> being careless and hurting somebody is stupid. It's 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 Remember, not changing it. I, I don't like him because he says he just says the dumbest stuff. Like, yeah, um, thinking like a job guy should get paid as much as John Cena. It's like you're only saying that because you were a one-dimensional gimmick and you couldn't hang after you lost the match because that like shattered it all. But yeah. um, no, but like there's other shit I don't like him about. Like he, you know, for as big as he was, he's not strong. Like remember when he was doing whatever his finisher was and he dropped Albert because he wasn't strong enough to actually. Keep yeah. He had up? caused puffy cosmetic muscles. He didn't have actual strength. Yeah. What he, I think he dropped Albert repeatedly, didn't he? It was that that it, it, it's kind of like Orange Cassidy's beach break, except he would hold them and then run with it instead of like yeah. over the shoulder down and then drop. Like Cassidy's smart enough to go, no, we just we're going over in one smooth motion and going down. Yeah. Because um, then the guy can help you and you're not dependent. Well, and yourself. he can con- yeah he can control his fall. But. Uh, yeah, if if you're a worker who consistently gets somebody hurt, then you you don't need to be a worker anymore. Something has to change. Yeah. But and, and that doesn't matter who it is. And incidentally, that's another reason why low key can kiss my white ass. Um, because yeah, he hurt people and then never changed anything, and reveled in doing it. But <clears throat> I think it was Monster Mac. Would like, he's like, yeah, like, like his kicks would hurt like fuck. So when it was time for me to power bomb him, like I'd just like drop him on his head as hard as I could. I mean, that's what happens with a receipt. 
the the more of a dick you are about it, the the harder the receipt ends up being. That's what uh, Cornette said about Memphis. Is he said like if you did those like lumberjack strap matches, like you had to watch out for Steve Kern because no, I think it was Steve Kern like just would get you extra hard with them. Was it just Steve Kern doing it, or was he getting back at you about something? No, they said like he just liked you know he was just screwing with you. Oh okay, just wanting to lay it in. Um, I think that there's... I think that I think some of that though is like. The way Cornette told it, though, is it was kind of the give and take is that like, yeah, Steve Kern would do that. And then you would just you would just pop him on later. Like, I think I think that was kind of just horseplay stuff. And he would just take it because he's like, yeah. no, no, I did that to you. That's yeah. There you go. There's another reason Loki sucks. Because that's, that that's one thing. Back. That's one thing like with Vader. That is why I don't mind Vader being so stiff with guys, because if you hear Vader talk and the way the matches were is like. If you didn't like what Vader was doing to you, just give it back to him. Yes, that was a D'Lo Brown story. Um, Vader got him in the corner, and he was doing those big, like, rocking forearm things. And D'Lo was like, he's killing me. And he heard Ron Simmons in the back of his head say, don't you let him do that to you. And D'Lo just, like, straight overhand right popped him in the face. And whenever he did that, when Vader grabbed a hold of him next, it was just a gentle thing. So it's like, if it's a problem, give it back. If you just take it, then you, there's no indication of, hey, back it off. Except for the time that Shamrock beat the living piss out of me. I think Austin said, like, he had to do that with um, Bossman sometimes. Cause he said Bossman would just, like, just get carried away. And you'd have to, yeah. like, just give him a shot to, like, wake him up. I, I saw, I heard a clip from that interview. He said Bossman would get carried away and he'd start laying it in real hard. And so Austin whipped him off, and whenever he came back, instead of doing a lariat or a punch or something, Austin lined up his elbow and, like, stiffed him right under the eye. And Boss Man went down, and Austin turns and looks at him, and Boss Man's just laying on the mat looking up at him and goes, yeah, okay. Like, <laughs> he got the message. Well, I remember, uh, do you remember, was that test that Taker almost dropped on that power bomb? Uh, it might have been. Because didn't he have to, like, go oh. back? You know, you know the one where he had to, like, go back in the ropes because they had to, like... Because he, he had to put him on the ropes and then bring him up. Yeah, yeah. I think that was Test. I think you're right. Because that was scary as hell at the time. Yeah. Well, I think that one was more of a mistiming thing. Like, Taker goes for the lift and Test isn't pushing off at the exact same time. So he's not intentionally sandbagging him. He's obviously not sandbagging him because when he's trying to go up, Test is trying trying to bring himself up. I'm I, like Bob Holly with Brock Lesnar. But. I'd assumed what had happened there is they got too deep into the move before they realized they didn't have it. Mm-hmm. And then it was, we have to do something or some one of us is getting hurt. Taker's doing that because, you know, I'm pretty sure Taker's put him on the ropes to get him up higher because... He knows that if he lets go, Test is landing on his neck, and yep. he doesn't want to do that. Yeah, and there's other times I've seen I've seen Orton t- and Taker do that a bunch of times where they're doing something and they're selling, and a guy's about to get like awkwardly planted on a chair, and they'll just like, kind of like take their leg and slide the chair away. Yeah, and I'll give Orton credit for that. That's that's a good thing. No, Orton's for as boring as Orton is, like he's. He's like a really 
technically proficient, like super ring aware. I don't think he's ever done anything particularly dangerous to someone. I don't think so. I just don't like him. No, I don't now, either. Now, that's I'm not saying he's bad. And he has seemed. He's mellowed out he, with age. Well, he seemed to be largely safe since crushing his foot doing the overdrive. Uh, since then, he seemed to be pretty largely safe, with the exception of doing the RKO has now like wrecked his back. Um, he, seems DDP, like be, he seems like he would be nice to work with because it seems like he has a light touch and it's going to be an easy night. Well, and he's grown out of stuff, too. Um, he's, he's grown out of his, his dickhead face. But yeah. DDP tried to tell him early on he's like look bro if you're gonna throw that then you need to switch which arm it's on because otherwise because ddp would switch sides he did the diamond cutter on he says otherwise you're gonna screw your back up and orton kind of blew him off and he's like all right do it your way and now look where we are um like early on orton no don't he he was he was bad like he was you know he was a dick um but you know more recent even if i don't care for him much he seems to have gotten a bit more mellow and he's been largely safe i think i think um, i I might be remembering wrong i liked him better i don't like him in ring but that story about him making friends with that teenager over the years through like call of duty i thought was uh was like a really um kind of touching story i'll have to look that one up because i i don't remember it. it it's one of the reasons that i i have respect I know you don't like him, but one of the reasons I have respect for Miz is the fact that Miz really only ever got hurt once in his whole career. And it was a knee injury, so that's probably eventually going to happen. But there's not stories of him hurting people. He was usually consistently over until the last few years because, frankly, everybody got burned out on it. I mean, you know, I respect that. I would not mind him if they used him to where his place is. Well, they haven't really changed what they've done with him for a long time. So like there's a lot sh- of stagnation. Like, he shouldn't be on shows for 30 minutes. He shouldn't be on every show. He shouldn't have had world title runs. Um, well, he only had the one, I think. No, he had two. Well, that second one, uh, it, it happened. Barely. <laughs> but yes, but it did tank them for, like, months. But... Um, you know, I respect the guy because he went from I don't know anything about this and paying like paying his dues hard to, you know, rising to a level of of competence and success and doing it in a way that didn't hurt anybody. So it's it's like the issue, though. It's like um, and I'm going to use the, an instance of someone I like. Like, you wouldn't want Brad Armstrong on every show for 30 minutes. And you wouldn't want Brad Armstrong getting a world title run. You know, you want Brad Armstrong in, you know, working a good match for 10 or 12 minutes. Maybe getting an angle here and there. Like, maybe put, like, pushed more than he got. But, like, you don't want him all over the shows, you know? Yeah, that's fair. And I I, I think Miz had a, has a higher ceiling than Armstrong. I think that's pretty clear but i mean that's more the fault of the booking i don't i typically don't blame the worker for the faults on the book no but the problem with that is though it's like the randy orton thing where i 
Like I, I'll never enjoy Randy. I never enjoyed Randy Orton because even if he was in the mid card, you could never trust it. And that's the problem I have with the Miz other than he's boring is like, you can't trust his placement because mm. suddenly he's going to pop up and like ruin Daniel Bryan's return or, okay. you know, things like that. Well, and I don't, I don't blame him for that because I don't, again, that's booking stuff. That was like his return, that payoff. Yeah. They were going to have that, but then it was booked in the dumbest way possible. So yeah, but that's how you ruin guys with booking though. I don't blame, like I said, I don't typically blame the worker for the booking. I blame triple H, but that's because in triple H and Hogan, for example, but that, that's you know more the exception than the yeah. rule well we we um we we turned this into a, a non-ccg conversation but i think it worked out <laughs> pretty well so next week we will hopefully be back with some wrestling content for you um yeah. depending on what's going on it's just we we had to do a little bit of an audible this week so thank you for tuning in as always we appreciate you all being here with us we'd love to hear from you on social media this is shad and brad uh, we've been in court two corners. You can tag in if you want, and we'll catch you next time.